0: I won't ever understand my shorties be mad when all I wanna do is stick my toes in the sand There's nothing wrong with champagne dancing and such but the nightlife in the city don't impress me much F-I-S-H-I-I-N Fishing F-I-S-H-I-I-N
1: Fishing I -I 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 don't feel right in the club I'd rather be out sitting in my 14 foot some trout. the fishes
2: all tremble at the thought of me when I'm country
0: I expect the fall walleye bite is gonna be good. It's not here yet though and this is usually a tough time to catch walleye. So the question is what should we be fishing for when the walleyes aren't biting? We'll ask Dean Arnoldson that question and we have a question for the aquatic biologist as well a bit of a defeatist question. It's all coming up. This is Vision Paul Bunyan Country. We're checking in with professional walleye angler Dean Arnoldison of Appleton, Wisconsin. We've had a lot of conversations with Dean about walleye fishing, but Dean, some days the walleyes just aren't biting, and some days maybe you're just not in the mood to catch walleyes. When the walleyes aren't biting or you're in the mood for something else, what should we be doing?
1: There's tons of other fish. A lot of people like to go fish just for the fun of it. A lot of people like the sport of it. Some people like to eat fish. When I can't catch walleye, I obviously love to go catch smallies. I live right next to Sturgeon Bay, and Sturgeon Bay is probably one of the number one smallie fishing capitalist of the world. It's a lot of fun. But also I love to go catch bluegill. Bluegill are probably one of the best eating fish. They're kind of as challenging as a walleye could be too. There's a lot of different ways you can catch the bluegills.
0: Both bluegill and bass, when you're talking about the sport of it, they are a more aggressive fish. They definitely give you a battle.
1: Plus when you catch a mess of bluegill, you get yourself a very good fish fry. Yes you do.
0: But let's talk a little bit about the smallmouth bass. Bass fishing, if you're locked in sport, that is pure sport.
1: Well I guess it's you I had the look at it and break it down a little bit it is kind of the same habitat as what walleyes like they like sand they like rock they like edges of weeds a lot of the same kind of fishing but yet when you're always casting constantly casting you're keeping yourself busy and and man they really pull they give you a good tussle
0: they do and bluegills and bass and actually in our area perch which is also a great eating fish it's fish that provides action if you're trying to get your kids to enjoy fishing if you've got a boat full of kids that's what you want you want action
1: exactly we're up at bay last year and just finding some windswept rocks and, and whatnot and one thing that i really found that I know a couple years ago they came out with shallow water anchors and minn Kota just came out with a Talon and, and i've been using them boy is that nice for moving around you get to a spot where you want to anchor instead of throwing that anchor and you just throw that shallow water anchor down that thing works unbelievable right now
0: what about northern pike do you ever do any northern pike fishing i
1: occasionally get out there I'm um, poygan an area by us poygan is a real good northern pike area throwing like a tandem spinner or whatever you want to throw but then you're casting all day you're keeping busy i think a lot of people like that kind of fishing it's
0: busy it's fun they're aggressive the thing is they are awfully ugly and they are kind of slimy so a lot of people just try to put it right back but if you know how to get the bones out they're another delicious fish to eat
1: say very tasty too the other thing is is a lot of people like to fish musky northern minnesota is probably musky capital of the world there's tons of good musky fishing and i think if you can figure a musky out i think the tenth Thousand casts of years ago it might just go away.
0: <laughs> there are a lot of people here who are really into musky fishing. There's no question about it. What about you? You ever tried?
1: I used to musky fish all the time. And once I got into the walleye fishing and the tournament scene, I think my musky gear went up on Craigslist. Oh.
0: But again, Dean, when we talk about fishing in your area, our area, we are in that part of the nation that's just blessed with so many different kinds of waters and so many different kinds of fish species. There's always going to be something biting and something that's aggressive at any time of
1: the year. And I agree with you. It depends on what you're looking to do. And a big thing, and I would always urge people, it's not always about keeping them and filling up your freezer. It's like throw some of them back, go catch and release, and just have yourself a great time. Look for the future. For
0: the average angler, maybe the guy who gets out a couple times a week. Once a week on the weekend, and wants to go out and mainly do some walleye fishing. Maybe wants to catch some panfish and northerns, the types of things that you can find in most lakes. Give us a good basic presentation he can use for a number of those different species. I'll
1: tell you what, I would, if you're going to go look for your panfish, your perch, that kind of stuff, I would bobber fish. Find a weed edge and bobber fish. If you're going to fish your muskies, your bass, I would cast something. If it's any kind of northland lures or any kind of tandem spinners or whatever, I would do more casting more moving around.
0: Dean Arnoldison talking about different species of fish to catch when the walleyes aren't biting or maybe if you want a little variety. He's from Appleton, Wisconsin, pro walleye angler. Dean, we always appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. Anytime.
0: Up next, a defeatist question for the aquatic biologist.
2: You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country.
0: Time to once again ask the aquatic biologist, Dr. Andrew Haefs. And, Andy, your, your students uh, show no mercy. When right. you ask them to come up with questions, they come up with some good ones. Uh, this one is an interesting one. We've talked a lot about AIS, aquatic invasive species, over the years with you and many other people. Uh, the question the, the student posed, why should the DNR keep spending money to stop the spread of invasive species even when the invasives are still spreading?
2: <laughs> so we deliberately have this debate in my classes every year and it's a very interesting debate uh, you know i was at a american Fisheries society meeting one year when they or it might have been the leech lake advisory council for their management plan down there or the invasive species rep came in and they told us their their line and i thought it was a good line and it says what we're trying to do is to delay the spread long enough so the research can catch up right yeah. and if somebody has a Imagine if somebody has a breakthrough in the next five or ten years that figures out how to eliminate zebra mussels in a clean manner, right? From any system that you don't want them in, that has minimal effects on the ecosystem in terms of toxicology. Imagine if that happens, right? That's a good thing. That then all the work that has been done is extremely valuable. Right. The risk, I guess, is if that has not occurred in a hundred years. Think of all the resources that we've put in and it's likely these invasives are still going to make it to these systems, right? We can't mm-hmm. check every boat and zebra mussels are like the perfect organism for moving from system to system and, and, little seeds or whatever fragments of vegetation It only takes a little one, right? to to get in. So that's the risk is that we've wasted resources. So I don't, I don't know the answer to this. It's a tough one to think about. Um, I agree with their message, right? That if we can slow it long enough for the research to catch up and wh- even one breakthrough occurs, it's worth it. Yeah.
0: Well, the other thing is, I mean, you know, we're, they're really doing a lot on preventive, right? I mean, that's basically all they can do at the moment. And they're working hard on that and it's kind of putting it up on, to us to really check as best we can, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know. I think this data is accurate. Somebody told me, that you know, we still have ninety plus percent of our waters without invasive species in them. So it's not like we've lost the Super Bowl here.
2: No. At the same time, I think it was twenty six or twenty seven new waters are getting infested every year with yeah. zebra mussels. So they're they're doing fabulous work, right? And the education component I think is key. There's no way that they can that the DNR can possibly check every boat launch and every boat that comes in. So the message. I think that needs to be out there is that every boat owner needs to be checking their boat very carefully and doing, you know, washing it or wiping it down, making sure the live wells are empty, things like that in between traveling between lakes. And that's the way to tackle this problem, really, is education, right? And 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 convincing the public that it's that important, because it is. And if you like the ability
0: to take your boat and take it to this lake and that lake, it behooves you to do that because, you know, they might get more draconian on the types of of
2: rules they come up with if if it doesn't stop. Sure. I can imagine even, a, you know, people buying lake ecosystems and saying, no, you're not coming in. We're yeah. shutting the launches down and we're going to isolate this system. It could get to that extreme, right? And we don't, that'd be a terrible thing for the state, which has... Just an awesome aquatic, you know, wealth of aquatic resources. Like I remember when I was in Wisconsin, I had to pay to go in every boat launch, right? And mm-hmm. here, everyone is free. It's just, that's an amazing thing. And if we can keep it at that, that's great.
0: Well, I have a friend who, I'm not going to mention the lake, but he lives on a lake. And of uh, the first things he got was a letter from the Lake Association, they were pushing owners on that lake to have a boat for that lake only. And if you wanted to fish elsewhere, you needed to buy another boat. It's not a rule. They can't force that. Right. But they're really pushing that at that point already. And this is a lake that doesn't have a public access. And they, I'm sure, will fight very hard if everybody, anybody ever wants to put a public access on there for that reason. Right. Those right. are the kinds <laughs> of things that the public on its own is starting to go towards. Lake owners are anyway. And, you know, if they have friends in the legislature, it those, there could be some nasty really stifling rules coming down the pike if right. we can't get a handle on this.
2: Yeah, and that's, un- that's unfortunate. So hopefully we can get a handle on it because uh, the aquatic resources are owned by everyone. And yeah. that's a great, great thing that we have in this country. So hopefully they stay that way. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> you know, and what and other aspect, I may, have, I may have actually talked to you about this a couple of years ago. I did an interview with a guy um, who did a lot of fishing on Lake Erie. And he was talking about zebra mussels were the greatest thing that ever happened to Lake Erie. That was a filthy lake. I mean, that yeah. was a polluted, awful lake. And, yeah, they came in there and they, they made that lake livable again for a lot of fish. So that, that was an interesting take I had never heard before or since about about zebra mussels. Yeah,
2: and one of the things that comes up in our debates in class, too, is that the time frame of what the way we think about things is very narrow, right? We're thinking about things even in terms of our lifespans, but that lake ecosystem over a thousand years, how is the zebra mussels going to respond and what's going to happen is a, you know, there's this huge pulse right at the beginning when they come in and nothing knows how to eat them, but what's going to happen in 200 years is a very interesting question that I don't think we have really good answers on right now, so...
0: We have started to see a little bit of a ripple effect. I mean, I, even on Cass Lake, which has always been a clear lake, it's even clearer now.
2: Oh, for sure. Right and
0: now. you got to go earlier in the morning and later at night. There's plenty of walleye still. That hasn't right. changed. But when you can catch them in, and Lake Winnie, uh, people used to catch them in the middle of the day at this spot, and the fish have dive deeper because the water is getting
2: clearer. So right. there's some real, real-time immediate effects that are starting to happen. For sure. Yep, yeah. that's it. A- I mean, there are do- well-documented reports of water clarity increasing substantially when zebra mussels, for example, come into a lake and how the, de- the zooplankton populations can change when you get a spiny water flea or something like that in it. But uh, I always tell my class to try to think about what will happen in 300 years. So oh, right? yeah. is it going to be much clearer? Or is something going to learn how to eat zebra mussels? Or are we going to figure out, you know, so interesting to think about timescale in this debate as well. So. Well, as usual, not an easy answer. No, for sure, <laughs> definitely not. So I, I tell them to the DNR, keep up the great work, and hopefully the education on this topic really takes hold with the public, so that we can spend less money through the DNR to do it, and everybody can just invest their their own time in and see the value of doing that on their own boats.
0: Yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, if we love this as much as we say we love this, uh, it's up to us to check those boats out and take that extra. Five to ten minutes that it takes to really right. look it over.
2: Right. And just think that's the same as buckling your seatbelt in a car, right? Yeah. And that's pretty well taken over now in the the public. And that should be that same type of mindset that you done with the lake. Go through these steps, right? Yeah. So. All
0: right. Dr. Andrew Hapes, our resident aquatic okay. biologist okay. from Bemidji State. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Fish in,